so here we are, back to Sunday again. I feel like I blink and it's Sunday. Isn't it amazing how quick a week can go? And we are already in week six. Can you believe that? Week six of the Red Series. And I don't know about you, but I have so enjoyed going deeper into the words of Jesus. Who's, it, who's enjoyed this, this series? Who could just continue this series for a year? Yeah, I'm, I feel a little bit the same. But isn't it funny when um, something's highlighted to you, like the colour red, how all of a sudden you just seem to see all these red things around. And um, I decided to, um, to take note of all these red things that I've seen and maybe what they represent. So follow with me. Things like my local letterbox. So you see my local letterbox? It's not there yet. So my local letterbox, that represents a form of communication. Would that be right? Yeah, okay, so that is a form of communication. And then we have this, which is usually kept in my bathroom, and, um, but this is a red lipstick. Now, that is not my lips, I'm just saying. But red lipstick, and usually that represents beauty. And then we have um, a stop sign. Now, this is something that we all need to take heed of. Um, otherwise we'll get one of those little letters within the mailbox that we don't want to get. Um, and a stop sign is a warning for us to stop. Yeah, it's not that hard really, is it? And then we have one of my favourite things in the whole wide world and that would be a sunrise or a sunset. You know those beautiful sunrises and sunsets that are just so red and beautiful and uh, I would say that that represents um, hope for a new day or hope. And then we have red apples. Who's a red apple person? Who's a green apple person? No, that's only for apple pie. But anyway, red apples, okay? So red apples, I've said, well, that's a, something that represents health and sustenance. And then we have these things, red roses, Who's had some red roses lately? Oh, my goodness. Not one person put up their hand. Oh, dear me. Me either. I'm with you. <laughs> Actually, I can't remember the last time I got flowers. <laughs> it, this is true. I cannot remember the last time I got flowers from my husband. And we were sitting eating this beautiful dinner last night. And he looks at the table and he says, oh, honey, those flowers are really nice. Who got you them? I said, I got them myself. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so red roses apparently are supposed to represent love. <laughs> um, and then, of course, there's blood. You know, anyone who's been to the blood bank and anyone who's given blood knows that blood is red. And um, it's this beautiful crimson red colour. And, of course... When we've got blood flowing through our veins, that represents life. And the interesting thing is that Jesus' words that are written in red in some of our Bibles, the interesting things about all those things I've just mentioned is Jesus' words represent all those things. You know, think about it. Jesus' words are God's way of communicating through us through Jesus. They're beauty. Those words are, have beauty to them. There's warnings in them. There's hope in them. There's sustenance for our spirit in them. There's love in them. There's um, help. And, of course, the words of Jesus give us life. 
Isn't that amazing how red things can just stand out so much and then all of a sudden you realise, hang on a minute, that's what the words of Jesus represent to us. So today we will be um, taking, we'll be taking, talking about something that may make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. So I'm so sorry that you may not walk out of here today feeling all light and fluffy and oh, wasn't that a feel-good message. Um, and hopefully it stretches you a little bit in um, your thoughts and your actions. So we're going to pray. And the only reason I know this is going to stretch you maybe a little bit is because I've been working on this for two weeks and I know what it's done to me. So, um, so let's just pray and let's just ask God to enter into this space. Oh, Father God, we just um, thank you and praise you for all that you are. We thank you that we could come here today and gather together in your house and uh, honour and worship you and learn more about you and your precious son. So, Father God, today I ask that you just open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to receive something from you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So... Who's ready? <laughs> Not many. <laughs> Everyone's sitting there thinking, I don't know about this now. Um, today we'll be chatting about a sin, actually. Um, for those of you who don't understand what sin is, it's just, Mother's explained it even last week. He, he just explained it as just things that God isn't happy with. And I really like that form of um, explanation for sin. But I, I always think too that, you know, God is a God of love. And, um, you know, he's not one of those gods that stand there and he's pointing the finger and I don't want you to sin because I don't want you to be naughty. He's actually saying, I don't want you to sin because I want you to move closer to me. You see, that's what love does. In a relationship that's filled with love, they want to move closer together. And so that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be close to him. And so, um, so that's what sin is. It um, keeps us separate from, from God. Some say that this sin we'll be talking about today is the sin that leads to all other sins. It's the sin that you won't see people gathered together in groups holding up a protest sign like they do with some other sins because this sin actually affects us all. It's always easier to point out the sin in someone else that doesn't affect you. I read a saying once that said this, don't judge someone because they sin differently to you. <laughs> yeah. We know the scriptures say we must not judge and don't take the speck of wood out of your friend's eye when there is a plank of wood in your own. I can only imagine when Jesus was actually teaching that, how you know we would have had a bit of fun with that. But remember we all sin. We all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God and that is why we so desperately need God's love, God's truth and God's grace in our life. However, our goal should always be with each other to encourage and challenge each other to move out and away from our sin so that we can move closer to Jesus and know him better. The sin I'm talking about today was the very first sin. And some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, yes, she's going to be talking about Adam and Eve and how they, um, their disobedience in the Garden of Eden. Well, actually, uh, yes, that was the first human sin. 
but um, it wasn't the first recorded sin. The first one to sin against God was one of the most beautiful, one of the most wise and most powerful angels. God made the angels with free will too. And this angel, Lucifer, started to covet God's position and authority. He hated having to serve God and grew angry and rebellious. He didn't want to serve. He wanted to be served and he wanted to be worshipped. So the sin that I'm talking about today, who's guessed it? Pride. The sin of pride set in to Satan. Pride was evident way back when Satan was cast out of heaven. It's extremely evident in the world today and I believe that it raises its ugly head in you and in me more often than what you would like. So I've called today's message Pride versus Humility, okay? Pride versus humility and there's a reason for that and you'll see how that unfolds as we go on. Now, there's two types of pride. There's one type of pride that the Bible talks about and one of those um, prides is um, actually okay. You know, it's a sort of pride where your daughter kicks six goals in a soccer game and uh, you were just so proud of her and that's okay. You know, or you're proud of some achievements that you've, you've made. That's, that's good. The second type of pride that the Bible talks about, and this one, is when we are... Um, this one comes in a place of self-righteousness or conceit. This kind of pride is sinful in the eyes of God. Jesus was constantly challenging his disciples, the Pharisees and those around him about pride and how they needed to counteract that pride with humility. So let's open the word of God. So if you've got your Bible here, let's open it up to Luke 7. To 11 and this is where Jesus is teaching about humility okay so Luke 14 7 to 11 it'll also be up on your screen starting from verse 7 when Jesus noticed that all who had come to dinner were trying to sit at the seats of honor near the head of the table he gave them this advice when you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit at the seat of honour. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honoured in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, we've all been to a wedding. Who hasn't been to a wedding? Is there anyone here who's never, ever been to a wedding? Okay, good. So we've all been to a wedding and you know that time when you get to the wedding and you actually go over to that, um, that board uh, sitting there and basically it's, it's telling everyone where they're going to be seated. And so you go over to the board and you look at table one, not there, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Ah, oh, there I am on table 12 of 12 tables. 
And uh, you realise that all of a sudden you've been seated right up the back of the room, slightly around the corner. You can hardly see the bridal table. You get your dinner last and, um, and basically you're sitting with all the crazy cousins or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing what you're sort of feeling inside when you see that this is happening and unfolding. But actually, before you think that the teaching is about where you're seated at a wedding, um, this isn't what Jesus was teaching. This is less about where you are seated and more about the heart behind the reaction to where you're seated. In Jesus' day and age, during the rule of the Roman Empire, there were um, tensions were extremely high and the oppression of the people was very, very evident. And it, be, it was quite common for people to want power, position, fame and to be seen in close proximity to those in high positions. So that's why this was an important thing because people just wanted to sit near the person that was popular. We see this in another story in the Bible in Matthew. So let's have a look at that as well. We're going to get lots of scriptures today, so I hope you're ready for it. So Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28, and it says this, Then the wife of Zebedee came to Jesus with her two sons, bowed before him and asked him a favour. What do you want? Jesus asked her. She answered, Promise me that these two sons of mine will sit at your right and your left when you are king. You don't know what you're asking. Jesus answered the sons. Hmm, Mum asked the question. Jesus answered the sons. Can you drink this cup of suffering that I am about to drink? We can, they answered. You will indeed drink from this cup, Jesus told them. But I do not have the right to choose who will sit at my right hand or my left. These places belong to those for whom the Father has prepared for them. When the other ten disciples heard about this, hmm, they became very angry at the two brothers. So Jesus called them all together and said, You know that the rulers of the heathen have power over them and the leaders have complete authority. This, however, is not the way it shall be among you. If one of you wants to be great, you must be a servant to the rest. And if one of you wants to be first, you must be a slave to the others. Like the Son of Man, who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life to redeem many people. So let me just give you a quick rundown of what happened in that story. James and John wanted to establish a special place among the 12 disciples within God's kingdom. So what did they do? They get the help from their mum, <laughs> like you do, you know, grown men. Who do they get to um, help them? Mum. So James and John got their mum to go and uh, speak to Jesus. But interestingly, did you pick that up in the scripture when mum asked the question, who did Jesus answer? He knew that it wasn't about mum wanting this for his sons. He knew this was about the sons asking mum to come and talk to Jesus. I just think that's really bizarre. But anyway, Jewish tradition um, granted aged women a special place of respect that younger women did not hold. So women could get away with asking for requests that men did not dare to ask in those times. James and John 
um, James and John's self-centred ambition focused on what they would gain. Either James and John had forgotten or um, they didn't understand the previous lesson that Jesus gave in only two chapters ahead. So in Matthew 18, if we can have a look at that scripture, we're going to have a look at Matthew 18. It's only two chapters. Now, I'm not sure what the timeline is on that, but I'm thinking it wasn't that far before what the story we just talked about. And here's what happened in this situation. At the time, the disciples came to ask Jesus, who is considered the greatest in the in heaven's kingdom realm? Jesus called a little one to his side and said to them, Learn this well, unless you dramatically change your way of thinking and become teachable and learn about heaven's kingdom realm with the wide-eyed wonder of a child, you will never be able to enter in. Whoever continually humbles himself to become like a gentle child is the greatest one in the kingdom realm. Jesus obviously had to keep coming back to this. And he had to keep repeating himself because we see just in a few chapters how he had to keep repeating himself to the disciples about the importance of humility. The opposite to humility is pride and James and John's request came from a place of pride. So what is pride? Well, I thought the best place to know about this would be to look up a dictionary. So I looked up the dictionary and this is what the dictionary said about pride. A high or inordinate opinion of one's dignity, importance, merit or superiority. After reading this passage and thinking and pondering on James and John and even their mum and how pride just really rose to the surface, it made me ask myself as I sat there going through this, is pride an issue in my life? which is a good question to have. You know, when you're going through the scriptures and everything, it's great to sit there and go, hey, how am I going in this? And uh, to be honest, I didn't think that I was too bad in this area. Of course, there's always room for improvement, isn't there? But um, I didn't think pride had a grip of me until I did a pride test. Yes, there is such thing as a pride test. You can just about do any test online whatsoever. And so I decided to do a pride test and, um, yeah, it's uh, had interesting results. Um, Pride has a way of hiding itself in us. It's always easier to see pride in somebody else than it is to see it in yourself. So, yes, this morning, if you think you're coming here just to sit and listen... That's not going to happen. We are all going to take the pride test today. Are you ready? Before we do, we're actually going to watch a video just to get us into the right frame of mind. You've also got a piece of paper, so the um, the little thing on the football. You can use the back of that to do your marking because there's 10 questions and you can mark on that or you can take out uh, something or write on your partner's sleeve, whatever you want to do. But um, let's have a look at the video. Yeah, something soft. I'm driving. Parking's an absolute nightmare around here, isn't it? Had to reverse into the tiniest of spaces. Still, I managed it. I mean, parking's not exactly brain surgery, is it? (laughs) And I should know. (laughs) 
Why is that? Are you a doctor? Careful. Not a doctor. I'm a brain surgeon. Big difference. Big difference. Yeah, I actually know a joke about this. What's the difference between a doctor and a brain surgeon? One's not exactly brain surgery. The other is brain surgery. <laughs> um, so, uh, what do you guys do? I'm an accountant. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I could do with an accountant. Filling in those tax forms can get really confusing, can't it? Still, it's not exactly brain surgery, is it? <laughs> I mean, brain surgery, believe me, is very complex. Are you an accountant too? Uh, no, I work for a charity. Oh, that's a very selfless job, isn't it? I really admire you. I don't think I could ever do what you do. <laughs> I say that because it's emotionally draining, not because it's hard. <laughs> I mean, it's not exactly brain surgery, is it? <laughs> Which, as a brain surgeon, is what I do. Lionel, here's your drink. Lionel's brain surgeon, you know. <laughs> yeah, he mentioned it. <laughs> Jess, I keep you late at the Space Centre. As always. Have you met Lionel? Uh, no, hello, Lionel. So, Jeff, how do you earn a crust? Uh, oh, I'm a scientist. I, I work mainly with rockets. It's, <laughs> it's, um, it's pretty tough work. Um, what do you do? Well, I don't mean to boast, but uh, I'm a brain surgeon. Brain surgery? <laughs> Oh, he's actually rocket science, isn't he? <laughs> oh, dear. OK, we're ready for this um, pride test. Have you got your piece of paper and a pen? So basically how this works is for every question I ask, you get to mark um, a tick for every question. Or if you think that that's not you, then you just put a little dash, OK? So there's 10 questions. Now, the whole idea behind this is that even if it's slightly right, you just put a tick, OK? So, um, so yeah, so these are, this is just a 10 question. There's a lot more usually, but let's just, because we've limited for time, we've, we've um, put it to 10 questions. So question one, you ready? OK, question one. Are you negative? or critical of people? Are you negative or critical of people? Now, this is always easy to tell because you'll know when uh, someone gets a new house and what you think when you're driving up to that new house thinking, oh my goodness, you know, how can they afford this? You know, little comments and things that come out um, when you see someone's brand new car or their beautiful new big boat or anything like that. So what's your, what's your heart like when, um, when people around you are getting things and stuff? So question two, do you always have to win? Do you get agitated, moody or angry if you don't? So this could be winning you know, in anything, in sport or in an uh, in um, argument or anything like that. How do you go when you aren't winning? Now, this is something I failed terribly at, I've got to tell you. Let's just be honest. I said, let's be honest, so let's be honest. You know, Murray and I will go for a beautiful romantic walk along the beach and um, it'll just all of a sudden turn into a running race and I have no idea why, but it just becomes really competitive and, and I have to win. And um, even if I have to trip him as I'm doing it, I'll, <laughs> I will. I'm, I'm being honest here. Um, so, number three, do you have a pattern of lying or exaggerating the truth? You see, underlying lying is pride. 
Because more often than not, when we're lying, we make ourselves look better. You try and make people believe that you're something that you're not. Put your hand up anyone who's never lied before. Put your hand up anyone who has um, never extended the truth a little bit in the story that they're telling. Okay, question four. Do you have a hard time acknowledging that you're wrong? Do not elbow your spouse sitting next to you, okay? This is not that sort of a service. Question five. Do you have a lot of conflicts with other people? You know, if you're having conflicts with a lot of people, then maybe you're the common denominator, you know? And they say that um, um, that the that there's a lot of conflicts between the proud and the proud, but not very often is there a conflict between the humble and the humble. Question six, do you push in line at a supermarket, at the footy or at the airport? Saying, I've never pushed in line. Hmm, This is one that I've done too. (laughs) Just saying that, you know, Christian conferences are the worst for pushing in line. I've been to Hillsong before and you know what? Pushing in line is when you come from the side as well. It's not just when you just push in. It's, you know, that how you just try and come in slowly, slowly into the line and just make it look like you were always just meant to be there. Um, Yeah, I got really good at that. (laughs) Question seven. Do you get upset when people don't honour your achievements? And so, you know, you think about it at work or in ministry or anything else, you just... You just really want to be recognised. You really want people to say something about the things that you're doing. Your thoughts are, why should I bother if no one's going to say anything? Question eight, do you tend more towards an attitude of entitlement or an attitude of thankfulness? So a good way to recognise this one is when you came into church today, did you come in thinking, I wonder what I'm going to get from today's service? Did you walk in wonder, wondering, how can I serve someone today? You know, so there's that entitlement and then there's thankfulness that, God, I'm just thankful to be here and I just want to serve you. Question nine, do you sometimes feel superior to others because of the way you dress, because you are smarter, maybe more intelligent, more talented or more gifted? Excuse me. How do you treat maids in hotels? You know, do you think that they're beneath you? Do you walk past and say hi? Or do you just not say anything? What about um, airline hostesses? I do a little bit of travelling and I fly quite a bit. And uh, I've got to tell you, I cannot believe the way that some people treat airline hostesses. It's, um, It's just horrible. What about cleaners or addicts? You know, every addict has a story too. Um, how, how about um, the homeless people? Do you just walk on by or can you at least smile and say hi? The measure of who you are is about how you care and treat people when nobody is watching. Question 10. It's got really quiet in here. <laughs> Question 10. Do you feel you are above certain chores around the home around the sporting clubs or around the church? We ready to score? So this is how we score. If you got between 1 and 10, and I didn't make this up, okay, so don't start throwing things at me, so I didn't make this up. If you got between 1 and 10, 
apparently you're proud. Okay? If you got zero, it means you're very proud. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so let's look at some scriptures in the Bible in regards to pride and, and humility because we probably recognise through that that all of us are proud. It's something that's been from, the, from when Satan first fell. That's where pride started and it keeps raising its ugly head. And so this is why I've called today pride versus humility because it's always there. It's something that Jesus had to keep coming back to the disciples all the time about. So here's some scriptures. Proverbs 11.2 says this, Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. You know, if we can just humble ourselves, wisdom comes with that. Isn't that amazing? 1 Peter 5.5, In the same way... You who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Did you hear that, young people? Um, And then it says all of you, so that's all of us. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Philippians 2.3 Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And James 4.10 says... Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up in honour. I think God makes it very, very clear in his word the importance of being humble. Jesus tells us that the kingdom in which he reigns in, which he reigns, greatness is obtained by pursuing a course of action which is the exact opposite of that which is followed by an unbelieving world. Greatness in his kingdom consists of self-giving in the outpouring of oneself in service to others for the glory of God. This is a really hard lesson. Jesus taught it over and over again, as I said, to the people around him. It's important to note here that humility is not a sign of weakness. Okay, It's really important that you know that. And humility isn't denying your strengths. It's being honest about your weaknesses. C.S. Lewis, I love his quotes, and this is something that he said. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. The essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Lust, anger, greed, drunkenness and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Pride is actually ruining our marriages. Pride is um, separating relationships and friendships. It's ruining businesses and churches. Our marriages and our friendships, our workplaces and our churches would look so much different if we would humble ourselves. C.S. Lewis also said, humility is not thinking less about yourself, it is actually thinking of yourself less. I love that statement. 
So what can we learn about Jesus? What can we learn from Jesus, our perfect example in humility? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Heaven, had all right um, to all honour, praise and worship. And yet to be our Saviour, he laid down all his privileges aside and became a lowly servant. We talk of living as Jesus lived, don't we? That's our goal, is to be like Jesus. And you know what? We actually sing worship songs all the time about this. You know, things like, I'll give you my heart, I'll give you my soul, I'll live for you alone. Well, what about the other one um, that says, I will follow you to the ends of the earth? Or this one, it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. I surrender all, so long as serving doesn't interfere with my life and only if it's comfortable. I surrender all, except when the offering plate goes past. All to thee, my blessed Saviour. I don't feel like it today. And Brendan's not singing the songs that I like. I surrender all. Do we really? Do we really? You know, we might laugh at this, but unless we truly surrender all to our God and stop thinking we know better than the directions in this book, that we know better than the one that we claim to follow. You know, as I said, Jesus was our perfect example of humility. And yet, you know, I said a saying um, a few weeks ago is that we are so much like, unlike Jesus. Are we willing to surrender all? Can we give up our opinions? Can we give up our rights to reflect the quality that Jesus had, which was humility? If the worship team want to come up, I'm just about to finish. So before you think that you've got to walk out of this auditorium whipping yourself because you're full of pride, all we need to do is go to the cross. You know, we don't have to be feeling down about it. We just have to say, you know what, I acknowledge this, Lord. I see this in myself and I do want to surrender it to you. You know, the first great thing to um, get over something is to acknowledge it. And uh, as I said earlier on, that pride has an interesting way of hiding itself. So what does it look like to surrender all our pride to God? Here's six really quick things. Humility learns. Pride knows. Humility listens. Pride talks. Humility serves others. Pride serves oneself. Humility builds others up. Pride builds up self. Humility opens hearts. Pride builds up walls. Humility connects. Pride disconnects. I honestly believe that as we surrender our prideful ways to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit will come and break some chains that have been holding people back from stepping into all that God has for them. And you know, we know that this is just keeping us from being closer to Jesus. 
And so, you know, surrendering all is about letting it go. You know, I just think to myself that there's probably some people in here that um, pride has actually kept you from getting wise counsel or counselling. And you really need to go and get some professional counselling or Christian counselling because of something that just keeps happening in your life. Please don't let pride keep you from getting the help. You know, that thing that you're struggling with could, um, could be just finished and over with if you go and get the right help and advice. Some of you, your marriages are really, really in a desperate place at the moment. And I just wonder if two of you came together and said, what would it look like if I just humble myself to you and the other humble themselves? So you humble yourself to each other. It's not one person being humble. It's about humbling yourselves to each other. Could it be that a wavering marriage could be restored? You know, I really believe that there's some people in here that have said some pretty mean and nasty and horrible things about other people in here. We are family. Don't let this pride and criticism and all these things get in the way of what relationship really looks like in the house of God. Maybe you need to let go of that. Maybe you need to let go of your pride and actually go and say sorry. Humility can bring love into communities that are struggling. Humility will bless those around us. If we truly want to walk in courageous faith, we will clothe ourselves with humility and others will see Jesus because of our humble generosity in our time and our talent in our treasures. The last song we are going to sing is a beautiful song called I Surrender. Maybe it's time today where we can just ask God to forgive our prideful ways and leave them at the foot of the cross. Why don't you stand? We're going to pray. Father God, I just um, thank you for your amazing and precious son. I thank you, Father, that he came into the world to serve and not to be served. I thank you that he is our perfect example of humility. And so, Lord, I just pray as we've all been stirred by your spirit in the things that we need to let go of so that we can be closer to you and closer to each other. I just pray, Father, that during this song that you will just move in a powerful way, that people will be released from the chains that hold them back from being all that you would want us to be. In Jesus' precious name, amen.